fantastic day because we get to celebrate a resurrected Savior and so I'm excited about that and I'm looking forward to continuing our study today welcome to Babylon in fact this is the last sermon in the series welcome to Babylon but I'm looking forward to next week beginning a brand new collection of messages next week we're gonna jump into a verse-by-verse study of the book of Colossians and I love studying books of the Bible and in fact it's something that we do often at Rock Hill because it's not about what we have to say but it is about what God has to say and I can't think of a better way to study the Bible than verse by verse and uh, expositionally and sequentially going through the pages of Scripture and so we're gonna start a series next week called more than enough and uh, we're gonna be talking about the secrets to a satisfied life and uh, so often today what we want in life is more I need more money, I need more friends, I need more opportunities, I need more time. Can anybody resonate with any of those things today? Like, all right, 12 of you. (laughs) And what we're gonna be talking about in this new series is about how Christ is more than enough. And that in Christ, we have everything that we need. So I'm looking forward to that and and, uh, what God is going to do. You can find a seat this morning. And if you have a Bible today, I wanna encourage you to go to Daniel chapter nine is where we're going to be today. But before we jump into the message, I wanted to make an announcement. Would that be all right today? All right. And uh, this is something that we shared last week at Build Night. But I know that because of scheduling conflicts, perhaps many of you were unable to uh, be a part of uh, Build Night. And so I wanted to make a quick announcement this morning, something that I'm very excited about what God is doing in our church. And so uh, I'm looking forward to sharing this. And I wanted to start by just uh, briefly talking about what God has done in our church from January 1st through September 1st. And so uh, this is what God has been doing. And I wanted to share a couple of highlights that I'm excited about that we can be encouraged about. This is just simply January 1st to September 1st. We've seen 83 people pray to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's what it's all about. And we've seen 36 people follow the Lord in believer's baptism uh, already so far this year, which we have two more today following the Lord in believer's baptism. So I'm excited about that. We've seen 247 guest cards filled out and turned in. That means 247 family units that have filled out a card. And uh, so I'm thankful for that. And then we've averaged 93 adults serving every single weekend on the dream team. And uh, we believe that when you're serving, you're seeing... And at Rock Hill, it's never been about growth, but it is about health. And I believe that healthy things grow. And when you are uh, 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 seeking to please the Lord and seeking to have a healthy place, then healthy things will grow. And so I'm thankful for what God is doing. In the last several weeks, many of you have noticed, especially uh, in the second service, we've uh, set up chairs every single uh, week for the last eight weeks in a row. And so God has just been bringing in new people. I'm thankful for that. And so I have an exciting announcement to make uh, because of all of that. On October 23rd, we are launching a third service here at Rock Hill. And I believe that this is the next step that God has for us in this building. And uh, we're going to have three services on a weekly basis, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. And so I'm looking forward to that. I wanted to just to share a few thoughts behind this and uh, just so that we can kind of wrap our heads around this vision moving forward into the fall season. And I'll go through this quickly and then we'll jump into the message today. But first, the service times. Uh, we're going to have these services at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Next Sunday is Open House Sunday. This will be a great uh, kind of test of 
for us to practice these times. How many of you are planning on being a part of Open House Sunday next Sunday? All right. How many of you have already invited a friend to come with you? Okay. Uh, we're asking that God would fill up this place three times next Sunday, and uh, we're looking forward to that. Uh, second, I want to talk about service flow. And uh, just to give you kind of a heads up, this is kind of just me sharing my pastor's heart with you this morning. Would that be all right today? And so the service flow is going to look a little uh, different. We're going to be intentional with service length, and uh, we're going to make sure that there's no hiccups in between the services as we have a tighter transition. We don't want there to be problems with the kids' space and nursery and parking during those transitions. So we're going to have intentional uh, service length, and uh, we're also going to reduce additional Sunday activities. We want to make sure that we're not uh, bogging down the calendar with so many things that we're being... uh, Uh, stretch too thin. So we want to be intentional with that. Uh, Next, I want to talk about the dream team. And uh, I'm so thankful for our dream team. How many of you serve on the dream team? Anybody like that? And so we're still going to have a sit and serve culture. What we believe is that you should, hey, sit and enjoy uh, a service and let God minister to you and then serve and be a part. Uh, when you're serving, you're seeing, you're getting to see God do some things that maybe you wouldn't otherwise see uh, if you weren't serving. And so we're going to have a sit and serve uh, culture. And uh, also we're having a new team rally format. So many of you uh, might not know that every Sunday, 30 minutes before the service, we have something called team rally. And all of our dream team comes together and we pray over the day and share some announcements. And so we're going to have a new out outside team rally format. We're looking forward to that. Uh, Next with Rock Hill Kids. And uh, how many of you are thankful for Rock Hill Kids and all of the workers? I'm thankful for them uh, on a weekly basis. We're introducing something called Rock Hill Kids Club. And that's starting next Sunday. This is something that's going to be in our teen room at the 10 o'clock service. This is for any children that might stay uh, over multiple services. And uh, we want to make sure that they have a fun, engaging environment and they're not getting bored hearing the same lessons. So we're going to have a brand new environment, Rock Hill Kids Club, uh, coming with a meal and everything. And so we're looking forward to uh, Rock Hill Kids Club. And uh, then uh, an updated service format. Uh, uh, we're making some intentional changes with our kids ministry to make it exciting and engaging and training up children in the way that she uh, they should go now some ways to be involved Uh, how can we be involved as a church family today number one can I encourage you to pray we can plan and we can have a great strategy and a great system but if God is not in it it's all in vain And so I want to encourage you uh, to be in prayer and and to ask that God would bless uh, this third service launch. Uh, Number two, I want to encourage you to celebrate. And uh, I'm thankful uh, that God is working and moving in our church. And we've seen over the last several years, unfortunately, many churches close their doors completely that just couldn't move on, that couldn't continue forward. And so I'm thankful to be in a place where we are not closing our doors, but we're adding services. And so I believe that this is something that we should celebrate and thank the Lord that he is moving in this place. Uh, Number three, plan. And uh, I want to encourage the ushers to come forward at this time. They're going to pass out a third service card. And this card uh, will help us identify what service you will be able to go to, what service that you can sit in. And I want to encourage you to be planning ahead, okay, with these new service times, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Which service will I go to? And which service will I be able to uh, participate in? And so uh, plan for that. And uh, we'll take a minute and a second to uh, collect these cards as well. But uh, pray, uh, celebrate, plan. Number four, communicate. Uh, Can I encourage you, if God's putting it on your heart to serve, to be involved, to communicate that. uh, To let myself know, to let Daniel or Seth know or Rakia or one of the team leaders. And uh, just ask someone, hey, I'd like to be involved. I'd like like to serve. And communicate your schedule uh, so that we can reach more people with a life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. And then number five, implement. 
We want to make sure that we are implementing this plan uh, according to a timely fashion and in, in, in a way that would please the Lord. And so I'm excited about what God is doing in our church. And how many of you are excited about this next fall season with three services and what God is going to do? And so I wanted to make that announcement because it's something that we've been praying on and planning on for months, and uh, we believe that God has called us here for such a time as this, and we can't get comfortable, we can't settle in, this world is not our home, it's not about our comfort, it's not about convenience, it is about pleasing the Lord and doing what He wants us to do, and so I'm excited about this new season, and I hope that you'll join me in prayer. Well, Daniel chapter 9 today is where we're going to be. And if you have a Bible and you're ready to jump in, would you say amen? amen. Daniel chapter number 9, and we're going to start reading in verse number 1. I would encourage you to keep your Bible open and ready today. And we will cover many verses, but Daniel chapter 9 is where we're going to be. We'll start reading in verse number 1. The Bible says this. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books, scrolls, the number of the years where the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, and we'll talk about that more, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings and our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. Uh, for a few minutes this morning, I want to speak to this subject. Call it a comeback. Call it a comeback. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll jump in this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this opportunity to come together and to worship you. And thank you, Lord, that there is another in the fire that you are always with us. God, thank you for working and moving in our church and for the lives that are being changed. I pray that you would be pleased with this step as a church family adding a third service. And God, I pray that we would continue to do our part to mobilize and to share the gospel with our friends, family, and neighbors, and that we would see more people impacted for your glory. God, I pray that you'd be with us in this moment and uh, in this time, I pray that you would speak to us through your word in a powerful way. And Lord, I pray that we would leave changed because of it. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said this morning. Amen. My son Luke and I, we have decided that we are officially Rancho Cucamonga Quakes fans, all right? The minor league team here in Rancho Cucamonga. My son Luke has really been enjoying baseball, and so he's excited about watching baseball. So we've gone to some Quakes games, and we are big fans, all right? We're all about the Quakes right now. And uh, uh, in fact, the other day, we were at a game, and uh, Luke got to do some of the announcing at the game, and I brought a quick video for us this morning. very excited that he got to be the announcer at the Quakes game. We were watching the game, and it was a great game, and the Quakes were in control the whole time. They were up, and uh, they were batting well, and things were going well. They were in control, and then in the top of the ninth inning, 
Wouldn't you know it, the Lake Elsinore Storm, somebody got up to bat and hit a grand slam home run to win the game, and the Quakes were defeated, and Luke was devastated. He did not, he did not enjoy that. But it was a, a bummer and, and a devastating moment for the Quakes. It was their last game of the season. That's how they went out. Uh, but it was a great comeback for the Storm and for the visiting team, and uh, it was an exciting and exhilarating comeback for that team. You know, I thought about that. There, there's something exciting and exhilarating in life about a comeback. Uh, a good comeback story, a good redemption story. There's just something that's exciting about that. And the Bible is filled with comeback stories, right? We have stories uh, about the prodigal son who went away and lived a riotous life. And then there was a moment the Bible says that he came to himself and he came to his senses and he returned back to his, to his father. He had a comeback moment. Uh, the story of Jonah. Jonah rebelled against God. He ran away from God, ended up in the belly of a whale. He repented and prayed there. And then he went and preached a great revival in Nineveh. It was a comeback story. Uh, the story of Moses. Moses was drifting on the backside of the desert, the Bible says. And, and uh, Moses was uh, wandering in the desert because he had just murdered someone. And so he was in hiding and, and uh, thought, I can't show my face. I killed someone. And then God shows up in a burning bush and says, hey, Moses, you need to go and let my people go. And Moses obeyed and surrendered to that and ended up leading God's people in liberation out of Egypt. It's a great comeback story. I'm thankful that all throughout scripture, there are comeback stories that we can look to. But my question this morning is for you and I. When you need a comeback, what do you do? Spiritually, when you need to get back on track, how do you respond? Because maybe this morning you need a comeback. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's spiritual. But when we get off track, how do we respond? Because inevitably, there will be times in life when we are desperate for a turnaround. We need something to change. We need to get back on track uh, to where God has us. Billy Graham said this. He said, the Christian life is not a constant high. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if just everything was roses and sunshine our whole lives? But the, the reality is Christian life is not a constant high. I have moments of deep discouragement. I have to go to God in prayer with tears in my eyes and say, oh God, forgive me or help me. The reality is, is all of us are going to find times in life when we need to pray a prayer just like that. God, forgive me, or God, help me. I need to turn some things around. I love what the prophet Micah said in Micah chapter 7, verse number 8. He said this, do not rejoice over me, oh my enemy, when I fall. I love this. He said, don't laugh when I fall. Don't rejoice over me when I fall, uh, when I make a mistake. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy, when I fall. I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be, not might be, not maybe, the Lord will be a light to me. Can I tell you today that failure in life can discourage you? Uh, failure in life can distract you. Failure in life can disorient you. But can I tell you by the grace of God, failure does not have to define you. The Bible says that the righteous man will fall seven times, but praise the Lord, he gets back up again. Is anybody thankful today that we worship the God of a comeback? You might be down, but you're not out. The grace of God is sufficient for us when we fall, when we get off track. He can enable us and empower us to experience a comeback. We don't have to stay stuck in our sin. We don't have to stay stuck in our failure. We don't have to just keep on doing the same things over and again. He can breathe new life into our situation. Now, uh, we come to Daniel chapter 9 today, and Daniel discovers in this chapter, he discovers that the nation of Israel is on the verge of a comeback. 
This was something that was very exciting for Daniel. For the last almost 70 years, the nation of Israel was living in captivity. They were living under the Babylonian rule, and uh, they were in captivity. But here in this chapter, Daniel finds out, man, we're on the verge of a comeback, that God is about to bring us back to our homeland. There's about to be restoration. And so Daniel gets excited about this. And uh, chronologically, Daniel chapter number nine, just to kind of get our bearings this morning, Daniel chapter number nine is running chronologically at the same time as Daniel chapter six. Now, if you remember Daniel chapter six, something pretty significant happened there. We studied it last week. Uh, Daniel had victory in the lion's den. How many of you remember that last week? We talked about Daniel in the lion's den. And the reason he was thrown into the lion's den was because he was praying. And he prayed three times a day. The Bible says, as he did a four time. Daniel chapter 6, verse number 10. And so because he was praying, he was thrown into the lion's den. Now, what's cool about Daniel chapter number 9 is it runs at the same time as Daniel chapter 6. So we learn in Daniel 6 that he was praying. In Daniel chapter number 9, this is actually a prayer that Daniel was praying. So we get to learn and read exactly what it was that he was saying. This is one of the most significant and prominent and beautiful prayers in all of scripture. And I love that Daniel is praying and he's bathing uh, this issue to the Lord uh, in prayer. And it's a prayer of hope. It's a prayer of encouragement, which I believe is an appropriate fitting conclusion to uh, the message uh, in this series, uh, Welcome to Babylon, because so often when we are traversing through Babylon, there's discouragement, right? Uh, There's a lot of despair. Everything's so bad, and I can't believe how bad the world is right now. But I'm thankful that Daniel has some hope. Hey, uh, God is about to bring some restoration, that God is still in control. Even when it seems like things are not, God is still working. And so it's a beautiful prayer. Now, I think that we could adequately and succinctly sum up this entire series over the last six, seven weeks. I think we can sum it up into two statements. Can I give them to you this morning? How how many of you are bottom line people? Just give me the bottom line. I need to know what, uh, uh, okay, many of you are not bottom line people, but I'm going to give you the bottom line anyways, okay? So, So here's the bottom line. If I could give an adequate summary of this series, it would be two statements. Are you ready? Statement number one, don't bow in Babylon. When it comes to a golden image of Nebuchadnezzar, don't bow down. When it comes to the cultural ideologies of the world, don't bow down. When it comes to the temptations of the world, don't bow down. Stand strong on your convictions. Don't bow down in Babylon. Statement number one. Ready for statement number two? Don't lose me. Bow in Babylon. Because although we should not bow down to the culture, there should be some times when you fall on your knees and bow before your creator. And you humbly ask him to guide you and to lead you. So if you want to thrive in Babylon, you have to know when and where to bow. Don't bow down to the culture, but by the grace of God, bow down to Christ and submit to his authority. And so as we look to this prayer today, What I want us to do is we're uh, looking to this prayer. I want us to take some notes, and I want us to see four ways that Daniel found hope for a comeback. In this prayer that Daniel prays, four ways that we can find hope for a comeback. Are you ready this morning? Number one is this. He was anchored to Scripture. Daniel was anchored to Scripture. Now, let's pick it up in verse number one. Do you have your Bible open and ready? All right. Anybody else have their Bible open and ready? Very good. Verse number one. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Now, we saw this last week. This was a new era in Babylonian culture. Babylon had a dramatic fall. Belshazzar was the king that fell. And there was a new empire that was introduced, the Medo-Persian Empire. Everybody tracking with me? And so this new time was introduced. Verse number two. 
In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books, uh, by scrolls, by scripture, the number of the years where the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, and he would accomplish uh, 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And so I want us to kind of get maybe a glimpse of uh, the life of Daniel from these two verses, okay? I want us to kind of just picture Daniel uh, waking up in the morning and what a typical day might have looked like for Daniel. Would that be okay this morning? And so Daniel wakes up. How many of you are morning people? Anybody like that? How many of you are just the opposite of whatever that is? Okay, very good. Daniel wakes up one day and Daniel was a busy man. And remember that Daniel was a prominent political figure. In fact, you could say that he was the highest political figure. He was a high-ranking government official, which means that Daniel had a busy schedule, no doubt. There was a lot of things that were calling his attention. He wakes up in the morning. He's looking at his daily itinerary. He's checking his emails. He's checking his inbox. There was a lot of people that were waiting to talk to Daniel. There was a lot of people that needed answers from Daniel. He's drinking his morning coffee. He's busy. There's a lot going on. But what I want you to see is in the busyness of all of that, Everything that Daniel has going on, what he does is he prioritizes time in Scripture. Remember, Daniel was a political figure. He was a government leader. And yet what he does here in Daniel chapter 9, we get a glimpse, we get a snapshot. What he does is he says, you know what, I'm going to start the day, and I'm going to make sure that I'm reading the scrolls, the books that we see in verse number 2. And so that's exactly what he does. And in fact, we know what he read. Do you want to know what he read? He opened up the scroll and he read the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a little bit older than Daniel, but they were contemporaries. Perhaps they knew each other. And so Daniel reads the authority of Scripture. And he reads in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse number 10. And he reads this. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. And so Daniel's reading in his morning devotions. He's reading in the Scripture and he's thinking, man, that's interesting. That Jeremiah said that after 70 years that God is going to visit us and he's going to allow us to return back to our homeland. And Daniel all of a sudden is being encouraged because he's reading the scripture. He goes on, he reads in Jeremiah 25 verse number 11, it says this, And for the whole land shall be desolation and in astonishment. And these uh, nations uh, shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation. And, and Daniel's reading this and he's thinking, wait, that just happened. Belshazzar, he saw the writing on the wall. He ignored God. He was lifted up in pride. And Daniel's thinking, that just happened. The king of Babylon is now destroyed and punished, saith the Lord, for their iniquity in the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it perpetual desolations. And so Daniel is reading the scripture, and he's getting encouraged because he's reading some things, and he's hearing some things, and he's saying, okay, uh, God is about to visit his people. And uh, he's thinking, you know, okay, uh, 70 years, and, uh, you know, we were taken in 605 B.C., and now it's, you know, 538 B.C., and okay, it's been about 67 years. I think we just have a few years left. Wow, God's about to visit his people. All of a sudden, because Daniel woke up in the morning, because he spent some time reading Scripture, even though he was busy, he is encouraging himself in the Lord. Can I tell you today, never underestimate the power of reading the Word of God and the encouragement that it can bring to your soul. Don't tell me that you need encouragement and you're not reading the Bible. Because there is so much comfort and hope and encouragement found in the pages of Scripture. And here is Daniel. He's reading the Scripture, and he is finding great encouragement. He's finding great hope, and he's thinking, wow, we get to return to our homeland in just a few short years. This is amazing. This is great. Now, there's three things that we learn from this moment. Everybody tracking with me still? Daniel's just reading the Scripture. There's three things that we learn. The Scripture was his prompt to pray. Now, now hang with me. 
How many of you have ever struggled with your prayer life? Can I see your hand in honesty this morning? My hand's up. Okay. Sometimes we can struggle with knowing what to pray and how to pray. Man, I don't know what to say. This is clunky, and I feel like my prayers aren't quite getting up there. And sometimes we can feel as though our prayer life is a little clunky. But here's what Daniel does. He's reading the scripture. And in response to reading scripture, that's his prompt to then pray. Notice it in verse number three. Everybody stay with me? Notice verse three. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer. And so here's what Daniel does. He's reading the scripture, and in response to reading the scripture, he prays. And he says, you know what? I'm going to bring this to the Lord in prayer. And so in other words, I want to encourage you today. If you're struggling in your prayer life, pray the pages of scripture. Pray the Psalms. Use scripture to reinforce your prayer. I don't know what to pray. Start with the Psalms and just pray what David was praying in the Psalms and and use scripture to be your prompt to pray. Uh, Everybody tracking so far? So he used scripture as his prompt to pray. Uh, But secondly, uh, Daniel and his relationship to the scripture, how he was anchored to the scripture, this is important. He interpreted the scripture literally. Did you see it? Daniel's reading the prophet Jeremiah, and he says, okay, 70 years, we're going to be set back. 70 years, he has this, this realization that the prophet Jeremiah said in 70 years, they're going to return back to their homeland. What Daniel did is he interpreted the scripture literally, 70 years meant 70 years. In other words, please bear with me, this is so important today. In other words, Daniel did not allegorize the scripture. He didn't subjectivize the scripture. He didn't say this is just beautiful poetry. He didn't say this is just a metaphor. I think 70 years actually means this. He didn't use verbal gymnastics to twist the scripture. How many of you know in the culture in which we're living, we use verbal gymnastics to change all kinds of things, right? I read just this week in the news that Australia was trying to to limit the the fear that people have of being attacked by sharks. And so they now, Australia now no longer uses the phrase shark attacks. Now they use the phrase a negative encounter. That's not a negative encounter. A negative encounter is when you go to McDonald's and they don't have ice cream in the drive-thru. That's a negative encounter, okay? They said, we're no longer going to use shark attack. Sometimes we can use verbal gymnastics to kind of twist the scripture. But this is so important what Daniel did is he said, okay, 70 years? It means 70 years. There are people and there are movements that have fallen into error because they have decided to take the scripture and make it mean whatever they want it to mean. I don't think Paul really meant that when he was writing to Rome. I think he was just kind of telling that to, to that place. And I don't really know if we can, the Genesis account is kind of more just beautiful poetry to me. And I don't know if we, no, no, listen, we should interpret the scripture literally unless there is an allegory or a metaphor that is made plain. And so we learned from Daniel that scripture was his prompt to pray. We learned that scripture was interpreted literally, but also we learned from Daniel in this prayer that scripture ignited a burden within him. I want you to see it. Notice in verse three, there was a burden that was ignited in Daniel's heart. We see it in verse three. It says this, and I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And so we see the intensity of his prayer. And he says, first, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast. Fasting is withholding food or withholding something for the purpose of devoting our time and concentration on something else like prayer. And so Daniel said, I'm going to spend this time fasting. And then he says, I'm going to put on sackcloth. Now, this is something that may be un- unfamiliar to you, but in ancient Bible times, what they would do is they would put on this very rough, itchy material called sackcloth. And it was a constant reminder of repentance, getting uncomfortable. It's kind of like if you've ever had a shirt that had a tag that was very itchy that bothered you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Just kind of bothered you all day. You just wanted to rip it out. Uh, imagine that all over your body. 
That was sackcloth. And, and what Daniel was saying is, Daniel was saying is, I want to fast, withhold food and, and for the purpose of prayer. I want to put on this sackcloth because I want to be reminded of repentance and I want to be uncomfortable. By the way, if you are serious about God using you, there will be times when you have to get uncomfortable. See, we don't think in terms of sackcloth today. We think in terms of comfort. You know, we want the stretchy yoga pants. We want a snuggie. We want a hoodie. We want loose sweatpants. We want to be comfortable, right? If we're being honest, we want to be comfortable. We don't think in terms of discomfort. But can I just remind you that we are strangers and pilgrims and travelers that we are just passing through. And sometimes travelers don't have the greatest conveniences. Sometimes travelers have to get uncomfortable. And so Daniel said, I'm going to fast. I'm going to withhold food. I'm going to put on sackcloth. Then he mentions ashes. Ashes was a sign of mourning and uh, grieving. In other words, Daniel was taking all of this very seriously. There was a burden that was ignited in him, that was ignited within him because of the scripture. And it led him to prayer. And if you are serious about having a comeback spiritually, a comeback relationally, if you're serious about getting back on your feet, before you can get back on your feet, you have to get back on your knees. Daniel spends time in prayer. He reads the scripture. Scripture is a prompt to pray, and he prays, and he brings this to the Lord. Why? He was anchored to scripture. Now, not only was Daniel anchored to scripture, I want you to see secondly today, number two, he was amazed with God. He was amazed with God. And I love this thought because Daniel shows us some very practical uh, truths here. Notice verse number four. It says this, and I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God. Now, dreadful is not a word that we would typically uh, use to describe God, right? In our modern vernacular, dreadful. Uh, really what Daniel is saying here in the Hebrew is the word uh, Yahweh. And the word dreadful means to have great reverence or reverential fear or awe. He's saying, he's saying the great and awesome God. He's saying, God, you are great. You are awesome. He's amazed with God. Now, we tend to overuse words. And uh, we tend to get familiar with words. Like in our culture, everything is great. Everything is awesome, right? It's kind of like the Lego movie uh, a few years ago. Everything is awesome. How many of you know the song that I'm talking about, right? Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. Everything is awesome when you're living a dream, right? Everything is awesome. And in 2015, uh, it was actually voted uh, that the number one most overused word in the English language is awesome. Because everything is awesome, right? Thank you, Lego movie. Everything's awesome. You know, when God wanted to describe the beauty and the wonder of creation, and when God wanted to describe his beautiful uh, planets and the stars and the sun, and when he wanted to describe creation, he called it good. It's good. It's sufficient. We eat a slice of stuffed crust pizza, and we say, it's awesome. <laughs> By the way, stuffed crust pizza is yeah. awesome, right? Okay. Getting more amens to stuffed crust pizza than anything else in the history of Rock Hill. We have, we overuse words. Everything is great. Everything is awesome. Can I remind you today that our God is truly and accurately awesome. He hung the stars in the sky. He created the heavens and the earth. He formed you in your mother's womb. He knows everything about you, the hairs on your head. He knows the beginning. He knows the end. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. Is anybody thankful today that we worship an all-powerful and awesome God? <laughs> Daniel said, you are great and awesome. Overused words for us. 
but our, our God is truly great. And true. See, we have our own way to, to even define great and greatness. We have debates all the time about the greatest of all time. Who's the Who's the greatest basketball player? Who's the greatest football player? Who's the greatest politician? Who's the greatest president? Who's the greatest uh, actor? Who's the greatest actress? We have all these debates on who is the greatest, but there is only one who is truly, unceasingly, all the time great. His name is Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Luke chapter number one, verse 33, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and he shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. I wonder today, does God still amaze you? Does he still amaze you? Or do we come to church and we sing, There is another in the fire. I want to go to Red Robin for lunch today. Does God truly amaze you? Sometimes we can be infatuated with all kinds of things here. Uh, my son Luke, the other day, he, he, discovered, he discovered for the first time a CD. And uh, he had seen CDs, but never really played with one before, or had one before. And so he brought it to my car, and he was explaining to me and introducing to me a CD like I didn't know what it was. And he was like, Dad, I found a CBD. He calls it a CBD. Dad, I found a CBD. And, uh, you know, you can put this in your car, and uh, it'll play any song that you want it to play. And I was like, wow. I was like, that's amazing, Luke. Thank you for showing me that CBD. I wonder if at times our Heavenly Father looks at us and thinks, that's what you get excited about? That's what you care about? Money, cars, houses, power, position, prominence, career? That's what excites you? The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, can I tell you today that our God is greater than anything that our limited thinking can conjure up. He is greater than anything that you could imagine. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. I don't know about you, but my imagination can think of some pretty great things. Exceedingly, abundantly, above. Does, does God still amaze you? Daniel read the scripture. The scripture was his prompt to pray. And the first thing that he does is not rush to God with his needs. The first thing that he does is adore God for who he is. You're great. You're awesome. You are worthy of our worship. We love you. I love the hymn. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene, and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Oh, how marvelous, how wonderful my song shall ever be to my Savior. Oh, do I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene? He's great. He's awesome. But it goes on. Notice verse number four. He says, I prayed unto Lord God, made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful, awesome God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him. Can I tell you today that God always keeps his promises? He keeps his covenant. And then he says, and is able to uh, keep his covenant, verse number four, and mercy to them that love him. Our God is a merciful, a personal God. He, he wants to show mercy. So I love verse number four because this is what it's saying. Daniel's saying this very simply. He's saying, God, you can do anything. And God, you can forgive anyone. That's what he's saying. God, you can do anything. You're great and awesome. You're wonderful. And God, because of your mercy and you always keep your promises, you can forgive anyone. And so here's Daniel. He's anchored to scripture, but he's amazed with God, and he stands in awe and reverence of who God is. Now, this leads us to our third thought today. Number three, uh, you want to have hope, and you want to have hope for a comeback in life, you've got to be aware of self. 
You gotta be self-aware. Uh, Daniel was self-aware. How many of you have ever met someone that they were not self-aware, anybody like that? I remember several years ago, uh, I got to go on a missions trip to El Salvador. And one of the things that we got to do in El Salvador, one of the opportunities that we had was to meet the president of El Salvador. And so we were excited about this opportunity. And there was somebody in our group that had this, had this fake uh, $1 million bill. It was like a prank bill. It looked like a, a U.S. currency. It was a fake bill, and it was like something that you leave on the floor, and someone thinks they, they just saw some money, and they picked it up, and they'd be excited about it. It was a prank. And for some reason, this person in our group thought it would be funny, thought that it would be a good idea to give the prank $1 million bill to the president of El Salvador. And so that's exactly what he did. And it went over about as you would think it went over. He looked at it. He didn't laugh. He didn't think it was amusing. He didn't think it was funny. And we were just like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you just did that. And uh, I think it's safe to say that person lacked a little bit of self-awareness. Would you agree, right? You should, probably shouldn't give a fake $1 million bill to the president of the country. And uh, you know, the truth is sometimes we can lack some self-awareness socially. Maybe you talk too much in group settings and you talk too loud, dominate the conversation, lacking self-awareness. Maybe, maybe you don't talk too much and everyone thinks you're standoffish. Maybe sometimes we can lack self-awareness socially, but far worse than lacking self-awareness socially is when you lack self-awareness spiritually. And when you are unaware of your own spiritual condition, where you stand before a holy God, Often we can think, you know, I'm doing pretty good. Me and God are good, you know, and I feel like I'm doing pretty good. You know, compared to that person over there, I'm doing really good, you know, and I'm not doing that and they're doing that. So I feel like I'm doing pretty good. Often we can be unaware of our own spiritual condition. Here, Daniel is very self-aware. And he's going to describe uh, the spiritual condition of uh, his people, Israel. I want you to see it uh, in our text today. Notice verse number five. He's going to talk about their condition. Verse five. He says, we, everybody say we. We. We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled and even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments neither have we hearkened unto thy servants the prophets which spake in the name in thy name to our kings our princes our fathers and to all the people of our land in other words uh, the leadership has rebelled against you and all the people have rebelled against you and so what daniel's doing in his own self-awareness is he is recognizing their own sinful condition he's saying we've drifted from the word we've departed from your commands and uh, we have uh distorted the truth we, we have uh, run from the truth we have disobeyed he says we are sinners now here's what we need to understand the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse number 12, therefore, just as through one man, and this one man that he's talking about is the first man, it's Adam, just as one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. And so through Adam, set the precedent, because of Adam, we have all sinned. We were born with a sinful nature. Uh, we are not just basically good people that sin every once in a while. No, we were born with a sin nature. We have to recognize today that we have a problem. Our spiritual condition is that we were born in sin. C.S. Lewis said this, we have this strange illusion that mere time cancels sin. But mere time does nothing either to the fact or to the guilt of a sin. Sometimes we think, well, it's just been a while, and so sometimes time desensitizes us to sin. Uh, but the reality is, is that time does not uh, cancel away our sin. There is only one thing that can cancel away our sin, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ that was spilled on the cross of Calvary. And so we have to recognize our spiritual condition. What Daniel does here is he says, we are sinners. By the way, that's something that we all have in common today, all of us. 
We all fall short of the glory of God, <laughs> that none of us are perfect, that none of us have reached that uh, perfect standard of righteousness apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he acknowledges sin, but then he confesses sin. Now, uh, what he does is he confesses sin, and through verses 7 through 14, uh, he gives a detailed uh, description of his shame and the shame of Israel and, and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. But then the point is really hammered home in verse number 15, and I want you to see it. Can everybody see verse number 15? Verse 15, it says this. And now, O Lord, our God, that has brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. He refers back to what God has done in the past. I love, you want to reinforce your prayer life? Build your prayers on the faithfulness of God and the works of God that he's done in the past. Just like you delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, God, we're praying that you would bring another deliverance with a mighty hand and has gotten thee renowned as it is to this day. We have sinned. We have done wickedly. And so here, Daniel is confessing. He is acknowledging sin. This is a beautiful prayer of confession. I admit that I was wrong. Are the six most important words you will ever learn to say. They're some of the most difficult words you can say. I admit that I was wrong. I acknowledge my sin, that, that I drifted not pointing fingers, not blaming, not excusing. I was wrong. This is what Daniel's doing here. We have sinned. Lee Strobel said this, few things accelerate the peace process as much as humbly admitting our own wrongdoing and asking forgiveness. Augustine said this, the confession of evil works is the first beginning of good works. So often we can't move forward spiritually and it's because we are hiding sin. We are hiding iniquity in our hearts. And the psalmist says, if I uh, regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I'm harboring sin, if I'm not willing to confess and make it right before the Lord, uh, that is gonna be a hindrance in our walk with God. But I have good news for you today. Is anybody ready for some good news this morning? The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm thankful today for the mercy of God, the love of God, the grace of God, and the forgiveness that is available through his son, Jesus. Forgiveness is available. And so there ought to be relationally a, a clean relationship, a, a clear relationship with God because we are not going to harbor sin and hide sin in our lives. Just like Dana, we can learn to confess it. We are self-aware of our own condition. This is what Daniel is exemplifying. And there, this leads us to our fourth and final thought today. You ready for one more? Yeah. Number four is this. He was aimed at the right target. If you want to have hope for a comeback in life, you want to get back on track spiritually, you have to be aimed at the right target. Uh, several months ago, some of the men in our church, we got together and we went to an axe throwing place. And how many of you have ever gone axe throwing before, right? Uh, Ty, you were there and uh, Brian was there. We were throwing some axes. And I got to be honest with you, I enjoyed that far more than I thought that I would. And I uh, went and I was like, this is great stress reliever. Like I'm just throwing this axe as hard as I can at this wood wall. And honestly, I did not even care if I was hitting the target. I was just like, this is just fun to throw an axe. And, and uh, I was throwing the axe as hard as I could and trying to get it to stick to that wall. And I wasn't really even aiming at a target. And I think the truth is sometimes in life, we go through the motions, we fill up our schedules, we fill up our activities, but we're not even sure what we're aiming at. Think about it. You can have a full schedule. You can wake up and go to your nine to five. You can go to small group. You can have a lot of busyness in your schedule. What's your goal? What's your target? What's your purpose? 
Why do you do what you do? A lot of times we have the wrong motives. We have the wrong desires. A lot of times we're going through the motions. Some, sometimes we can be doing the right thing with the wrong motive. We're aimed at the wrong target. Daniel here is going to show us what the target is. Are you interested? What's the purpose? What's the target? What should I do with my life and the things that I do with my life? What, what should I be aiming at? Notice it, verse 17. He says, now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary. That was an expression to show favor. God, would you show favor upon your people? That is desolate. Watch this. Here it is. For the Lord's sake. God, we want you to restore. God, we want you to redeem. We want you to bring us back uh, to Israel. We want to experience a comeback, but God, it's not for us. It's for your sake. It's for your glory. Are you seeing it? Notice verse 18. Oh my God, incline thine ear and hear, open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name for we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness. It's not our merit. God, we're not asking you to do this based on what we can do, what we bring to the table, but for thy great mercies. Can I remind you that our lives are not about our merit, it's about God's mercy. He says, we're not asking you, God, because we are so good. We don't go to God in prayer and say, God, I've been good. I, I followed your word. I deserve this. No, just like the man in the New Testament that beat his own chest and said, Jesus, show merciful, show mercy to me for I am a sinner. It wasn't about merit, it was about mercy. Notice verse 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do defer not for thine own sake. There it is again. That's the target. That's the goal. We do what we do for him and him alone. We do what we do. We were created, in fact, for not our own glory, but God's glory. A lot of times we pray the right things. We pray for revival, but we have ulterior motives, if we're being honest. Lord, would you bring revival? Would you heal our land? But what we mean by that is, God, would you make things easier for me? God, would you heal our nation so that my business will be successful? God, will you help the situation so that things will be easier on my end? Uh, we have to ask, is it about our gain or his glory? Daniel says, God, we're asking all of this in prayer for your sake, for your glory. The Bible says this, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever your occupation is, whether you are a teacher, whether you are a police officer, whether you are a nurse, hey, whatever occupation you have, you are there. The goal, the target, the aim is to give God glory in that situation. That's why we were created. That's why we were here. He says, it's not for us. It's not for our sake. It's all for your sake. That is the target. That is the motivation. And then he goes on at the end of verse number 19. He says this. He says, for thine own sake, oh my God, watch this, for thy city, and the people are called by thy name. Daniel had a burden for his people. He had a burden for the city of Jerusalem. He had a burden and a passion for his city. Today, here's what I want to ask. Do you have a burden for this city? Do we have a burden for the city of Rancho Cucamonga? Do we have a burden for the city of Fontana, Rialto, Ontario, Upland, Claremont? Do, do we have a burden for San Bernardino? Do we have a burden for the Inland Empire. You know why we're having an open house Sunday? So that more people can be reached with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. It's not because we are interested in building our own kingdom. God forbid. 
We are interested in advancing and building the kingdom of God that will never end, that will never perish. We are interested in impacting all of eternity. This is not temporary. We're not playing games. Daniel had a burden for his city. He had a burden for people. This is what Open House is all about. And I want to encourage you to ask God to ignite a burden within you and activate that burden and go out this week and activate that burden. Go to the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Hey, would you be my guest on our Open House Sunday? We're having free habit burgers. Hey, I'd love to have you. Hey, you should come. 8, 30, 10, 11, 30. I'd love to invite you. Exhaust your phone contact list. Go out. Everybody that you meet at the grocery store, at the gas station, give an invite. Leave this place being equipped and prepared. What would happen if our church at the 9 o'clock service today got on fire about telling our community about Jesus? How could eternity be impacted? Daniel said, it's not for us. It's for you and for your people. And for the city, we want to turn the world upside down. Now, as we close today, did you notice when Daniel was talking about sin? When he was saying and confessing sin, did you notice how it was plural? Did you notice how he identified with his people? He didn't say, God, Israel is sinning. Can you believe it? What did he say? We. We sinned we have done wrong. And in so doing, Daniel was yet again pointing ahead to a greater Daniel. He was pointing ahead to a greater deliverer, one who would identify with his people. In fact, the Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 24, who his own self, Jesus, everybody with me? His own self, Jesus, bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed jesus identified with his people he went to the cross and took our sins and my sin and he put it on his back on the cross of calvary he took what was meant for us and he stood in our place as the perfect substitute to die for us for you and for me Last year, Katie was a substitute teacher at our kids' school, and they had a subline. And anytime they needed a teacher, uh, they would put the message out on the subline, and all the substitute teachers could get it. And whoever answered the call and accepted, they could press a number, and they would be the substitute teacher for the day. Can I tell you this? When we stood guilty and condemned and dead in our sins, Jesus answered the call and he became the substitute for you and for me, and he died on the cross in our place. And then he initiated the greatest comeback that the world has ever known. Because three days later, he defeated sin, death, and the grave, and he rose again. And today he is alive and well. It's the greatest comeback the world has ever known. By the way, I've read the end of the book, and Jesus wins. We are victorious. Through Christ, we are more than conquerors. John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. If you're in the room today, if you're watching online and you've never experienced the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus, you, were, you are dead in sins, hopeless. But if you put your faith in Jesus and believe on his name, you will live on eternally based on the promise of Jesus Christ.
Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.